Volume Four, Chapter Four of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Four, Chapter Four. If Willoughby was so deeply affected by the sight of Celestina, the sudden shock she had received from their abrupt meeting and from his strange behavior had on her an equally painful though a different effect, that the impulse of the moment had urged him to take her hand, made her hope that some remains of affection for her yet lingered in his bosom and that his former regard was rather stifled by anger than annihilated by indifference she knew that the first might be removed and that she might be restored to his friendship but that if his heart had once become quite cold towards her nothing could ever renew even that share of tenderness with which she could learn if not be happy at least to be content it was some time before she could cover from the agitation of spirits in which this unexpected interview had thrown her but when she at length became calm enough to reflect on it she determined to say nothing of having seen willoughby to lady horatia as she knew it would appear to her only a fresh instance of his unworthy treatment of her on which how severely soever she felt it she did not love to hear any comments even from her best friends with all the resolution she could collect therefore stifling her internal anguish she prepared to go with a large party in the evening to Rainlaw. while she was dressing for this purpose a servant brought up to her the following letter madame that a stranger and a stranger in my situation of life should address you would possibly appear to any less generous mind than yours a liberty that should be repulsed with disdain and resented by contempt but i am persuaded that you i may expect that liberal candor with which true virtue an unaffected goodness considers even those whom the generality of the world agree to condemn and despise you know madame what i have been and what i am from miss elphinstone you have probably learned what were the circumstances of my early life and mr vassiver with that sincerity which deserves to be so highly valued has told you how long I have been under his protection. He has since, madame, expressed some fears that this information may have been prejudicial to his interest with you, and at least it should be so. Allow me to declare to you that I know myself too well to believe for a moment that I ought to be in question where you are beloved too well to hesitate in declaring that attached as i am to mr vassiver i can never make him happy 
as he deserves to be no madame that happiness depends entirely on you such a passion as he feels for you i believe no other person can deserve and i know him to have so good a heart i desire his felicity so sincerely that i hazard this step in the hope of promoting it mr vassiver's generosity has left me nothing to fear for the rest of my life were it even to be a long one but i feel that a very few months will bring it to an end and i feel it without concern for thoughtless and unworthy as my conduct has been i have never found in its most brilliant periods that the glittering trappings bestowed by mercenary love could quiet the throbbing heart that beat beneath them and now my only wish is to be forgiven and received by my family and to pass the short remainder of my days with them you can intercede with them successfully for they can refuse you nothing deign them madame to interest yourself for me and at the same time be assured that it is my purpose to withdraw myself for ever from mr vassiver whenever he will suffer me to go which shall he says be whenever you will give him hopes of listening to him if generosity sincerity good nature and understanding may be sufficient recommendations to your good opinion mr vassiver eminently deserves it and whatever faults he may have your virtues will correct he knows nothing of my writing to you but i am conscious that i owe him such an effort when the felicity of his future days is concerned and i feel that in addressing you my presumption if not successful will be forgiven i have the honour to be madame your most obedient servant emily cathcart celestina could not pursue such a letter without a mixture of admiration and pity for the amiable unhappy writer though her resolution in regard to vassiver could not be changed she thought that she should no longer delay acquainting mrs elphinstone and cathcart with the information she had obtained relative to their sister but it required some consideration at least in regard to cathcart the circumstance of emily's letter added to the flutter of spirits which the meeting in the morning had given her montague thoroughgood who dined with lady horatia and was to be one of the their party at ranelagh contrived to be more than usually importunate with her for more pity and favour than she had lately shrewn him while the ladies and mr howard who joined them in the evening completed her anguish and confusion by talking of the marriage which was in a few days to take place between miss fitzhaman and mr willoughby one of these was acquainted with mrs calder and had heard from her that morning that everything was settled the title arranged the equipages and liveries bespoke and the jewels and cloaks concluded upon 
all of which she detailed at great length while another said that she understood that the marriage was to take place at castle north and that from thence all the family were to proceed together to italy where they were to pass a twelvemonth all however agreed that it was certainly to be concluded immediately and celestina could not any longer entertain a doubt of it though her heart had always revolted from the idea of willoughby's union with miss fitzhaman she had been now so long accustomed to think of it that she felt less poignant concern on that account but if possible more than ever from his continued coldness and the cruel neglect he had been guilty of in not answering her letter that he marries another cried she as she reflected on it i might learn to submit to without murmuring if it can contribute to his ease or happiness in any way but that he should quite desert and forsake me after so many assurances of esteem and regard even when love was no longer in question that he should disdain to own that connection by blood if he is sure that it is so which made him with so much apparent reluctance relinquish every other that he should without pity leave me to a destiny which owes its unhappiness to him seems so strange so unnatural so unlike him if i could once see him hear him talk to me with friendly calmness and tell me that he felt for me fraternal affection or even the regard of long acquaintance even what his mother's ward might claim from him i think i should be comparatively happy and should have no farther wish than to hear sometimes from himself that he was happy too but to be thrown from him in this unfeeling and unfriendly way to be forgotten and abandoned as if i had been found unworthy not only of his affection but of his remembrance oh it is too much these reflections and the uninteresting conversation of the company she was with to which she was compelled to attend in order to escape the more irksome inopportunity of montague thurgood served but little to raise her spirits they did not reach ranelagh till a late hour but on their entrance the first party they met was lady castlenorth her daughter and lady molyneux captain cavanagh was on one side between the two former and in deep conference with the latter was captain thurgood the ladies who could not avoid seeing celestina passed her with adverted and haughty looks cavanagh fixed his eyes on her with a look of bold inquiry and captain thurgood as he passed his brother said ho montague are you there i did not know you were in town my boy he then gave a significant nod as much as to say a a i see how you are engaged and passed on renewing with great seeming earnestness his conversation with lady molyneux 
though there was not in the world another set of people whom celestina could be so little pleased to meet and though she heard throughout the room and from every group that passed them the report of willoughby's marriage with various comments and circumstances such as every body thought themselves at liberty to adorn it with she felt a sort of satisfaction in seeing that he was not with them and while there was not anything she really so ardently desired as his happiness yet so contradictory is the human heart that she wished to believe he married miss fitzhaman reluctantly though a marriage under such circumstances must above all other things render him miserable montague thoroughgood elated more than ever by hope and encouraged to persevere by lady horatia having now too in consequence of the purchase his father had made for him more pretensions to aspire to her than his unsettled fortune had before given him and sanguinely interpreting her gentle refusals her friendly admirations to desist as giving him all the encouragement she could do while her fate in regard to willoughby was not absolutely decided was on this evening particularly pressing and earnest while her languor and weariness the encouragement which she was conscious she seemed to have given him her pity and even her regard for him with the certainty of his ardent love for her gave her altogether the air of listening to him favourably and while her mind was frequently fixed on willoughby and she hardly recollected that montague thurgood was talking to her she seemed to be hearing the latter with complacency and approving of conversation which it was not necessary for her to answer at length the short time lady horatia meant to pass at ranelagh was over she was fatigued and celestina rejoiced to hear her say she should go home as montague thurgood and mr howard were with them the other gentlemen remained with the ladies who intended to stay longer and lady horatia taking the arm of her relation left celestina to the care of montague thurgood and they were in this order proceeding towards the entrance when standing near one of the niches his hat over his eyes and his head leaning against the wall they saw themselves close to willoughby who was in that attitude listening to some very earnest conversation from vassiver who stood by him the crowd about the entrance was considerable and celestina holding the arm of montague thurgood was so near them that they both at the same moment saw her willoughby started as if he had been crossed by a spectre and without waiting to look a second time he pushed through the crowd and disappeared but vassiver came up to celestina and said in his usual way taking abruptly the hand that was at liberty you must give me leave miss du Maurier, to see you to your carriage celestina dreading to give occasion to anything 
like altercation between him and Thurgood, answered coldly but civilly that she thanked him, but Thurgood, who had not forgotten or forgiven the mortification she received from him at York and on other occasions, could not now help resenting what seemed to be a repetition of such insulting behavior. He therefore, walking very hastily on with Celestina, said, No, sir, there is no occasion for you to give yourself that trouble, for Mr. Moray is under my care. I did not mean, sir, replied Vassiver fiercely, to ask your leave to wait on this lady, and I beg you will not take the liberty to address yourself to me. Pray, Mr. Vassiver, said Celestina, trembling, do not persecute and terrify me with this sort of behavior. She then saw by his countenance, and by the eager way in which he grasped the hand he held, that he was very far from being sober, and her terror increased. I did not mean to persecute or terrify you, cried he. No, by heaven, but damn if I can with any temper see that fellow always at your ear, and affecting to be favored. Come, come, leave the pendant to his meditations, and don't forsake your old friends. The petticoats that he is to wear are his protection. And this lady's presence, sir, said Thurgood, is yours, or be assured I should answer you in a very different way. Celestina, now alarmed even to agony by the menacing look of Vassiver, who quitted her hand and stepped before Thurgood, screamed out to Mr. Howard and Lady Horatia, but the crowd had so far divided them from her that neither heard her and before she could effectually interfere to prevent it, such words had passed between Vassiver and Thurgood as nothing but blood is, by the laws of honor, supposed to atone for. Celestina, who heard them in a fright not to be described, now disengaged herself from both of them, and not knowing what she did, only having some confused idea that she might meet Captain Thurgood in the room, she ran back thither alone. Her beauty and her terror, whether it was thought real or affected, gave her, in the opinion of the first group she met, the appearance of some young creature desirous to attract attention. Three or four young men surrounded her, and inquired what service they could do her. Breathless and ready to faint, she answered that she was in search of Captain Thurgood. Egad, cried one of them, Captain Thurgood is a devilish lucky fellow. And a very tasteless one, said another, to leave such a lovely creature to seek for him. Celestina now understood how entirely they mistook her, and collecting some presence of mind, said, for heaven's sake, gentlemen, assist me to find him. His brother is engaged in a quarrel, a quarrel I fear on my account. And she would have gone on, but unhappily for her the party of men who surrounded her were all of that description which are called bucks. 
who fancied they distinguished themselves by shrewing how little they deserved the character of men one or two of these hearing of a quarrel found they had no disposition to engage where there might be trouble or danger and therefore walked away but three others had now time to consider the eminent beauty of celestina and to have settled in their own minds that she was a girl without character which her being alone and even what she had told them of a quarrel on her account seemed to authorize they were therefore all determined not to let her go and far from thinking of relieving the terror in which they saw her and which they indeed believed to be a mere piece of acting two of them took her arms within theirs and held her with such discourse as increased her alarm almost to distraction she now knew not what she said terror for herself had so mingled itself with her fears of what might happen between vassiver and thurgood that she sometimes angrily entreated her persecutors to release her then humbly besought them to see for captain thurgood till at length as they led her again towards the door her fears were become insupportable and shrieking she entreated them rather to kill her than expose her to such horror as she felt at this moment however by a sudden spring she disengaged herself willoughby was returning alone along the passage she saw him and threw herself into his arms save me save me willoughby was all she could utter before quite overcome with variety of terrors she became almost senseless her head resting on his shoulder and his arms supporting her he looked sternly on the young men and demanded the occasion of the lady's alarm they replied that they knew nothing more than that she had run into the room alone inquiring for a captain somebody and that they had endeavoured to find the cause of her fright and to assist her willoughby who did not believe this but who was more solicitous to recover the fainting celestina than to punish these idle boys waved with his hand for them to be gone and they immediately obeyed for it was the defenceless only they had courage to insult willoughby then by the assistance of a gentleman whom he happened to know led celestina who was just sensible into the room where the ladies cloaks are received and while his friend ran to get her a glass of water willoughby placed himself by her and with one hand round her waist supported her with the other nor could he forbear as he gazed on her pale but still lovely countenance pressing her to that heart which had been so long fondly devoted to her in a very short time she drew a deep sigh and recovering recollection begged his pardon in a voice hardly articulate for the trouble she had given him she remembered that to the husband the lover of miss fitzhaman it must be trouble and she withdrew herself from his arms before he could ask her 
so absorbed was he in the mingled sensations of pain and pleasure what had occasioned the alarm in which he had seen her for a sigh still deeper than hers he now made this inquiry she answered but not very distinctly that high words had arisen between mr vasover and mr montague thoroughgood and that not able to check their impetuously nor to overtake lady horatia and mr howard who were gone on before she had foolishly run back into the room to find somebody who might part them when those young men had surrounded and insulted her till in her fear she knew not what she did and all this terror all this excessive apprehension was for mr montague thoroughgood said willoughby in a faltering but not a tender voice then as if he had discovered nothing but what he had before known enough of to be easy under he seemed at once to repress all appearance of interest as far as it related to celestina and said with forced coldness i dare say madame you have nothing to apprehend for his precious life however i will seek my friend vassiver and take care at least for to-night that it goes no farther if you will tell me where i can find him and whither i shall have the honour of conducting you celestina was heartstruck by the manner in which this was uttered she turned her expressive eyes on his to inquire whether he could really behave thus cruelly towards her his eyes met hers but as if he could not bear her looks he turned them away towards the door where his friend now entered with the water and almost at the same moment mr howard came in and told her that lady horatia had been in great alarm at her not following her to the coach where she now waited for her she did not give him time to finish the sentence before she eagerly asked if he had seen mr montague thoroughgood seen him cried mr howard no certainly is he not with you celestina would then have related what had happened but her returning apprehensions that something fatal might have already been the consequence and the look with which willoughby surveyed her entirely deprived her of the power of speech and willoughby himself in a few words related to mr howard what she had told him i do not know added he what ground miss de moray has had for the alarm she has been in but i know vassiver was not sober and possibly may have been wrong-headed it will therefore be necessary perhaps for me to inquire after him and as you madame seem to be now recovered and are safe in the protection of mr howard i will wish you good-night having hurried over these words he bowed to mr howard then with equal coolness to celestina and disappeared a shower of tears the first she had been able to shed fell from the eyes of celestina as she lost sight of him 
these tears however and the water she had drank a little relieved her and mr howard again representing the uneasiness in which he had left lady horatia she collected strength enough to avail herself of the assistance he offered her and leaning on his arm reached the coach where she was compelled however unequal to the recital to relate to lady horatia what had happened within the twenty minutes for more had not elapsed that she had lost sight of her lady horatia expressed great apprehensions for montague thorogood and though with great appearance of truth that unless he had gone immediately away with vassiver to decide their difference that evening he would have sought them again and have relieved them from the extreme apprehensions which he must imagine they must be under on his account these conjectures which were but too well founded and which they had no means of satisfying kept lady horatia and celestina awake the whole night towards morning the former who was less deeply interested and more accustomed to the painful events of life than celestina found some repose but celestina herself was up by break of day listening to every noise in the street and trembling every moment lest she could hear of some fatal accident and her reflections which no longer offered her anything to hope were busy in representing and magnifying all the evils which she had to apprehend end of volume four chapter four recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c